I'd like to welcome AJ Kierens, who is the Vice President of Business Development at Disco. Welcome, AJ. Oh, it's so nice. Thanks so much for having me, Seema. I'm glad you're here. You know, you always make me laugh, which I love. (laughs) Well, thank you. No pressure. Yeah, right. Let's get the jokes rolling. So you recently joined Disco? How many months has it been? We're now, crazy thing about it, we're now we're at about 90 days, so three months. Wow. So at the beginning of February. And yeah, it's been really great. What a crazy time to kind of join a new company. It was a perfect time. I think that yeah. I really, you know, I've been in the industry, which is crazy to think about, but, you know, almost 20 years now. And mm. what we're doing, you know, is really unique. And I'm really proud of what we're doing. And it was just a very logical decision at this, you know, point of my career to be part of something, you know, unique and special, which is really hard to do in our space. It's so true, right? Because so much you see, I don't know, people say the same thing over and over again. And there's, mm-hmm. it really, some ways, the people define the experience in many respects or the technology platform if you're using an exchange. But so tell me why Disco is different. Because what I really like about Disco and I'm really proud about is you know, the industry is changing. We've seen a lot of consolidation, you know, kind of everybody's joining everybody, you know, teaming up or being acquired. You know, I've right. experienced that firsthand. And I think that what we're trying to do and have been successful with is go back to kind of the days of panel of yesterday with a focus on quality, proprietary. I think that one of the things that is really easy for me is just to say all disco all the time. We don't utilize exchanges. We don't use partners or, or river traffic. Mm-hmm. It's our own asset. We don't try to productize everything. We have a you know, few areas of focus, our ad measurement, our digital behavior, and then majority of our panel asset is U.S. consumer. So really, it's a transparent discussion and relationship with our panelists. Right. They're participating in research. They're not trying to, you know, level up in, you know, Candy Crush or, you know, gamification. Mm -hmm. Uh, And really, it's just a focus on validating who they are and you know, the quality. And mm-hmm. I know folks say quality all the time, but it's really we're, it's really an active investment technology-wise and financially in making sure that when we you know, work together that our respondents are you know, giving quality answers. And we, we see that a lot. Our scrub rates have been you know, much lower than the industry average and standard. So it's an easy sell. It's yep. a really honest discussion. You know, it's not, you know, I don't have a laundry list of products that we have to try to sell or it's obviously selling in this environment is a whole nother story, but knowing what we do and, you know, not having to memorize, you know, what numbers we have or, you know, what we're using or how we're spinning our, you know, our size has been really easy for me. That's great. And so when you made that kind of, you alluded to leveling up in Candy Crush and getting points and stuff like that, I want to probe a little bit here in terms of saying, asking, so panelists join Disco because they want to be there. Right. And is the experience for a panelist, do you think, very different than other panels? So they go, our website, surveyjunkie.com, and they Mm -hmm. log on and they know what's happening. So our really, I do think so. I think that they're there are there really there are quality panels out there, and there mm-hmm. are you know unique scalable assets like us. You know, we're, right? We're, we we play in the we're really transparent. I think in the U.S., right? The three biggest are you know Protege, Dynata, and us in, right. in U.S. Uh, perspective. I think that when there's acquisitions upon acquisitions, that you know the one bottleneck or the filter of the panels is 
that there's a lot of other panels behind the scenes. So mm. some may be transparent, but others be just through acquisitions and way things go and, you know, different terms of service and technical reasons that, you know, their experiences are not uniform. We have one panel, like I said, and that's really our focus. So it allows us to have a, you know, uniform strategy on how we engage with them and, you know, how they're rewarded. You know, we are able to cash out at $5, which is really, which really low. It allows low us to have another, yeah. yeah, low threshold allows us to validate them you know, again, their identity with, you know, banking information to transfer of the money. Mm-hmm. Um, that threshold is is part of our you know, validation and quality process. And so allows, you know, it's a win-win for everybody. We all know one's going to get rich off of, you know, taking surveys, but when people feel their time and their opinions are respected, it right. allows them to, to be, you know, to choose to participate more and to do that actively. I always think of disco and I think of behavioral data and you had mentioned that as well. So tell us a little bit about what disco is doing with passive metering or being able to track consumer behavior. Carl and the, the digital team will, will love to hear that that's uh, <laughs> how you associate with us. And yeah. that was really one of the, the points of differentiation for me. And it's really just you know a new way of thinking with you know rich data. We all know there's the you know, big data. All the all the buzzwords are always out there, but right. you know, scalable. It's rich. You know, it's first party, right? And mm-hmm. everyone talks a lot about first party. But when you look at at one point, obviously it was first party. But if they don't own that relationship, it's truly not a first party data set. And so that's really one area. Our members, again, it's a transparent. You know, passive metering, uh, they install, it's, it's cookie-less and allows us to track their behaviors online. We can see behind walled gardens, we can see the ads that they were you know, exposed to, the path to purchase behavior right. on desktop as well as mobile and allows for a really you know, truly rich understanding of the consumer. And especially now with you know, how things are changing with behaviors due to COVID. It's been really ramped up in, in popularity, a lot of requests for information and demos. And I think it's a really powerful data set. And consumers, I think consumers opt in, right? They yeah. choose to participate. Obviously, they get rewarded for that, but they must feel trust in the brand to be able to do that. Right. Everything is trust. It's transparent. And not only with our, our clients, but with the panelists who are you know, participating, you know, in this experience. And that's really, I think it's key that they, they're aware of it. You know, there's been some folks in the space recently, you know, who've been shut down for not having that transparent tracking of data. And I think that's really, you know, folks are, you know, they see stories, you know, the the Cambridge Analytica's and those type of things, and they get concerned about what is going on with their data. But if you give them the opportunity to control that and, allow that to be engaged and opt-in. I think that's really the, the key for it. It's 100% opt-in, transparent, and it's you know research only. And I'd like to say it's ethical, It's really, which right. is really, again, everything we do is you know above board and it's honest and it's transparent. And that's really great because I think research is so important to have that and people questioning you know, the validity of data and, you know, and things of that nature that I think that what we're doing is truly unique in that, in that regards. That's fantastic. And do you guys use that data for profiling as well? Yes and no. We do have that ability. It's from a technical standpoint, that is how it's set up. We can pull sample from mm-hmm. some, you know, folks who visited you know, walgreens.com or, right. or what have you. We use it in different ways, but that's definitely one of the ways. A really exciting new ways that we partnered up with Gongos Research and they have a whole kind of mini site about that and they've been releasing different information. And our team has been using 
the survey and digital behavior to do kind of, you know, COVID reports and kind of consumer confidence to see how things are, you know, our team was really smart and I would love to take credit for it. But before anything <laughs> really uh, you hit the proverbial fan, you know, they were, they started to kind of get a pulse of what was happening and started asking questions. So we have these reports, which are on our website, shameless plug, but you can go and you can, we started tracking it early. So it wasn't, you know, a lot of, some of the tracking is happening now. Mm-hmm. We have stuff going back to, you know, to February and, and earlier than that. So you can kind of see how, how their behaviors really changed as the news started breaking and what have you. And the data sets are, you know, I think we, on the first round, we had roughly, you know, three waves and there's about 25,000 unique people who took them. Wow. That's a huge sample size. That's fantastic. Before we dive into our next topic, here's a brief message from our sponsor. For brands looking to hear the voice of the consumer loud and clear, there's no better partner than Paradigm Sample. Looking for direct access to engaged respondents and free survey programming and hosting? Let's get specific. Need to survey moms, pet owners, or customers with particular automotive loyalties? Our panel access and MR operation services can handle it all. Whether local, regional, or global, our team is ready to source the right respondents and get your survey in and out of field on time and within budget. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. So let's talk about COVID. I know you and I have gone back and forth about things that you've noticed in our research community that sometimes make you laugh or just kind of say, no, I don't buy that. What are some things that come to mind? I'll share mine too. Okay. Yeah. I was like, so we can burn both sides of the bridge. Yeah, right. (laughs) Collateral damage has that. Yeah. Well, my, I think the one that's the most common and I think, I don't think it's as much a COVID thing, but I think that's happened more is the connecting with folks and you know, just basically their same pitch they had before, but now they just add like, I know you're going through difficult times. Yeah. <laughs> and that, then it's the whole pitch. So it's literally like, you know, it's scroll, scroll your whole screen. Right. Same pitch, but it's just, you know, it's just really has one or two sentences that are like, oh, unique times or, you know, and I, I like the term new normal, but I don't know yeah. if I like it now, but a couple of weeks ago, I was still okay with it. Yes. And so that's been the one I think is just kind of been, it's always been hilarious. And then also another one is, Everybody wants to be Gary V, right? I think yeah. that everyone is really trying to, you know, have these, you know, inspirational moments and some of them are great. Like there's yes. just, there's been, and, but I've always write stuff and then I write it, I read it again and I come back to it. And I think, do I really need to, to send, you know, hit, put this put in, the, yeah. the button. And times I don't just yeah. like those emails, those heated emails you want to send and you don't send them because you don't want to really get into it, but right. it feels good to write it. And so I think that there's a lot of folks who are just trying to be engaged and I'm not really sure what they're really saying, yeah. what they're, where they are. And so you have to, I've unfollowed a lot of people. So just in that regard to kind of clean my feet up because yep. I do think that I think the beauty of it is that people have a little more time for real conversations and to consider new partners and to consider new technology. And I think those have been some of the best conversations. Mm-hmm. That's been a real positive for me. I've really been able to be a more engaged listener, uh, yeah. participating in more webinars and you know, subscribing to some new things because I'm of the vein, if I can't help you, I would love to recommend somebody who I yes. know and I trust. And for me to give the AJ stamp of approval, I need to really believe that. And so that's been a positive as we try to, you know, it's like you said, the negative thing. It's like a job interview. What's the worst, you know, what's one of your worst strengths? It's like, oh, I worked, I just work so hard. All the time. <laughs> I can't stop working. I feel like LinkedIn, I agree with you, has exploded. And you know, there's days where I'm like, I have 
like there's work to be done. I can't keep mm-hmm. monitoring the feed. And, you know, I know everybody's doing it out of goodness of their hearts, but I concur with you that there's just so much going on LinkedIn. And I don't know if it's a pet peeve, but an observation of, I think you really get to see people's true colors during this time. You really, you know, you can see the people who are, you know, letting their guard down a bit more and saying, I'm struggling versus people who are saying everything's okay and I don't want anything to change. It's got to be the same as it always is. I can't even say it's a pet peeve. I think it's just how people are coping with the situation. And it's interesting. Again, I'm trying not to judge because I know Mm -hmm. I'm probably reacting differently. But I think you really kind of get a sense of where people are in terms of how to deal with something like this. And I guess there's no playbook because we've never gone through this before. Yeah, I think, yeah, we were talking before with kids in in that regard, usually they look to you and say, well, what do I do here? What's And you don't, and it's kind of hard. Like you have to have a good poker face and kind of, you know, make it up and we want to adjust it. But I think that it has been interesting though because so many people who have always said that working from home is not something that can be done or we can never do that and it's not scalable. But those who are, I mean, there's been some companies where it you didn't even it was just seamless. They were, yeah. you were already doing it, or they already had the infrastructure in place, and it was really just like a you know flick of a switch, and it was just you know different environment. But they already had the back ends already ready to go, and folks were, were have access. And so I think that's been really cool to see is those yeah. people who are really innovating and thinking ahead. Yeah. Um, and one of the questions that keeps coming up is how is the office environment going to be in the future for those who really right. don't on a brick and mortar? And I know that's more so on the qualitative side. You know, I know mm-hmm. a lot of folks have been really impacted by that, but it's going to be interesting. You know, I think that my thought is corporate real estate is going to be, you know, commercial real estate, excuse me, is going to be impacted. Mm-hmm. I know that in the past, which I always thought was cool was, you know, a few agencies, they did a analysis of attendance versus travel and folks being out sick. And they already downsized and no one had a physical office that was theirs. You had kind of a part of the floor that you right. could take a space in. And I thought that was really smart. It was using the data to make insightful decisions, knowing that they're never at 100% capacity. So why, why would you have, you know, 30% more you know, seats if you don't ever really need them. Mm-hmm. I thought of another real, this is probably a pet peeve. We know that there's, it's uncertain, right? And I know everybody's mm-hmm. tired of the word, these are uncertain times. But the definitive prescriptive advice that you get unsolicited about what needs to get done or what you should be doing is a pet peeve of mine. Mm-hmm. How yeah. do you think of that one? I think that's a good one. I think it's very, and you worded it very nicely. I think that <laughs> because... If no one's ever done it before, then how do you know what needs to be done? And then, and with such def- with such kind of definitiveness, like it's almost like I use the words you might consider. Maybe there's a possibility. And I know that sounds a little soft, but let's face facts: nobody really knows. Right, and it's interesting because, especially in our industry, which is driven by you know, data helps impact so many decisions across so many different industries and verticals. That, yeah, that people have these kind of like floofy, you know, things, that, but they're so confident about it. Yeah. So the data changes like daily. Weekly, daily. Depending, yeah. Depending on how you want to look at it or not look at it, if you're kind of drowning in all the, the news and information, but that's what our industry is, yeah. is a data driven industry. And so we really can't forecast that yet. 
Yeah. Well, and I also like the, I mean, and I appreciate this. I think I'm sure you're in the same boat where you call people, you talk to them and like, so what do you think is going to happen? And it's almost like this group, it's not group. It's like this one-on-one influence or game of telephone as to how things are going to shake out. And that's been intellectually challenging as well. And I like that because you're Mm -hmm. either going to agree or disagree with somebody's opinion. It forces you to think about it. So I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I think that, and we were saying before, I think people are open to have discussions. And I think that there's going to be relationships that are built during this Yes, that are really strengthening businesses a lot more than ever, because you'll remember that so-and-so was there for you. you know, mm-hmm. And you were saying before about people's true colors, how you treat people now or how you treat people that you don't really need to, that they don't have a, there's not a cost relationship or you know revenue with. Well, really, I think that will really impact the industry and just impact people's business relationships for a really long time. Yeah, I agree. So do you think that people will start businesses? I think I was listening to something today and it was saying that small, that maybe smaller businesses I think yeah. will come out of this where they're, they don't have as much overhead and there's not as much, you know, they can be more focused on some, you know, on, uh, really be specialized in a few things. So mm-hmm. I think that'll, that'll come of it because there's a lot of great talent just due to numbers and way businesses mm-hmm. are run or investments that had to let go a lot of great, great folks. And so yeah. I, think that, I think that, you know, it'll be hard for some of those people to be convinced to go back to be part of these big machines again, if they are hiring again. That's awesome. AJ, thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Tina. Thanks for having me.